things uh, during Advent. If you're new here, we try to um, challenge our folks to kind of maybe redirect some of their spending um, towards some things that we feel like are really making a, an eternal difference and that are meeting some physical needs for people as well uh, in our neighborhood and around the world. And so in the past few weeks, you've heard a little bit about a ministry called Food for Kids uh, that feeds uh, kids in the summer here in our neighborhood. Last week, you got to hear about uh, the Ministry of Young Life and, and their camping program in the summer. Today, you're going to get to hear a little bit about um, the guest house, which we um, moved into about a half block up the street from this church um, back in August. And um, one of our uh, members here, Sam, moved in and has been taking in um, widows and orphans uh, into their home and trying to love them and care for them and show them the light of Christ. And um, I just want to challenge some of you guys. Um, I've been thinking this past week, you know, wouldn't it be cool if when people asked us, you know, what do you want for Christmas, if you just said nothing, and, but what I'd really love for you to do is make a donation to Food for Kids or make a donation to Young Life. Or, so I just want to really challenge you guys to do that with your parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, or whatever. Do we really need more stuff? Um, and really maybe kind of redirect where that money might go to some of these things. So uh, today we're going to get to hear from Connor. Um, and uh, Connor is um, a friend of Sam's and is kind of uh, on the ground with her day in and day out, doing a lot of things, hauling people around and cleaning up messes and um, just loving on people. And she's going to share a little bit about what that ministry has been like uh, these past few months. Hello. Um, Okay, so this past August, we told you all a story about how the Wellspring Guest House came about. So if you're not familiar with the house up the street, um, I'll tell you about it. So um, our vision at the guest house is to um, show and tell Jesus to the widows and orphans here around um, Wellspring in our neighborhood and around Edison Elementary. And unlike a program or a shelter, we've really tried to create a very family-loving atmosphere for um, moms and kids to come and stay if they need to or to even um, just come for a meal to spend time with friends and family. So um, Sam moved into the guest house this past August, and just four days after she moved in, we got a call from Angie Hernandez, who is the um, family life coordinator at Edison, and Angie had a mom, Denidra, who she wanted to move in, and so Sam at this point wasn't even settled in. It was still very hectic, I mean, just four days after being there. And so we were all kind of like, no, this isn't the right time. Like, this would be just too soon. And so, um, but after we met Denidra and heard her story, we um, realized that where she was staying was really unsafe and not good for her three boys. And so she moved in anyways, even though we weren't really prepared. We didn't really know (laughs) what to expect. Um, So... Really quickly after Denidra moved in, people really stepped up and started to um, provide a lot of things like meals or clothes or toys. And so it was really cool to see God using people like you all here at Wellspring, and that was really just awesome to see. So um, Denidra's three boys, um, Ladejian, Leon, and Lamir, they quickly drew in other Edison boys, um, kind of like the kids you'd see at um, Food for Kids or on the basketball team. And so um, through that, the boys just started coming over, especially on Friday nights, which quickly turned into Friday Family Fun Night, 
which is just a night for the kids come to enjoy a meal and they get to play games afterwards. And that's been happening just throughout this whole semester. And it's just been really, it's a really chaotic night, but it's really fun too. And um, so as of right now, Denidra and the boys, they're living in their own apartment. Um, they moved out of the guest house probably um, like a few weeks ago, and um, they've been living on their own. They're doing really great. Um, Denidra has managed to hold a job on her own this whole time through all of the craziness, which is amazing. And um, it's just been really cool to see how um, through all of this she's stayed really strong. And we also learned about Denidra that prior to moving into the guest house, she was actually homeless for seven years, which is incredible. And she just never had anyone in her life to really invest in her and love her. And Sam was just able to step into that space so well. And so um, just through being at the guest house, she was able to get back on her feet, get some stability. And um, Sam has kept a really great relationship with her. And that's been really awesome to see also. And so, um, just, oh, and also, um, there's been a couple other girls that have lived at the house. One who's actually, um, about to have a baby in January, which is really exciting. And so she's having a little boy, and we're all just really excited about that. And just through this whole process, we've learned a lot. We've learned that, I mean, we're all just really broken people, and God still uses that, which is really awesome. And, um, we've learned of some more specific needs that Sam has at the house, one of them is simply time. She doesn't always have the time and the um, emotional capacity to spend with the people she would want to most, the people living in the house or her neighbors. And so a great way for people to help out, for example, would be on like Friday Family Fun Night, someone providing a meal or helping clean up so Sam can spend as much time as she would like with the people that are in her house. And um, also we've just realized that through meeting people and um chaotic situations and inviting as many kids as would want to come to the house that all of those things are pretty expensive and so um, we are definitely in need of anyone who can um, offer any type of funds and um, we've actually set up um, a goal for the next eight months of five thousand dollars and that money will all go to groceries for the house it'll go to um, funding for residents to to move in and also for them for transportation to jobs or to wherever Sam may have to take them. And um, it would also go to utilities, like household utilities, like cleaning supplies and toiletries. And so just so you know, if you do give to the house, that's where your money will go. And um, this has just been a really crazy experience. And um, we just want to invite all of you into that and into, like, the beautiful redemptive work God is doing at the Wellspring Guest House. And also, we have a dinner this Friday night at 6 o'clock, and anyone is welcome to come to meet neighbors, to meet um, who's living in the house now, and just to get to hang out with Sam. So, thanks. Well, that has been a really, a really cool thing to see what God has done. But you can imagine um, when people come in from crisis situations, there's all kinds of things that you just are constantly making adjustments. This family might not be bringing any clothes with them, or they might not have any personal belongings, yeah, toiletries, things like that, that 
we just kind of take for granted. So all of a sudden they've got to go out and buy and purchase and have some things there for folks. So uh, in addition to donations and stuff, just having some money on hand to respond to some of the different things. A lot of them don't have cars, so getting to work, getting back on their feet. I mean, those are all things that we've got to try to figure out how to navigate. Um, so any way you would want to help there, I know sometimes we just need people to take people to work or pick them up or things like that. So that would be great. So we're going to transition here uh, this morning. And... Um, We've been talking about this theme of light, and I want to start this morning with this uh, reality that I'm sure we're, we're all pretty keenly aware of, especially those of us that have kids, but is that from a very young age, we learn um, to hide in the shadows when we are doing things wrong, right? I, I, especially, I think, it was when my kids turned two, you know, they start to become aware a lot more that, that what they're actually doing is wrong. I have a two-year-old in my house now, again, um, and I remember when you have a two-year-old, um, when you don't hear them for a while, that's bad, right? And so when there's silence, right, and you're like, ah, oh, I haven't seen so-and-so in a few minutes, because it doesn't take long, right? And so you go on the hunt, you know, to find them. And a lot of times you find them in the dark places, in the shadows, with a candy bar they're not supposed to be eating, or, you know, the cutlery set from the living room, you know, or the kitchen, I mean, and so you're just like, ah, it freaks out, right? But we have this instinctual nature in us that hides in dark places when we know we're doing something wrong. It's just kind of woven into us from a young age. And this Advent season, we've been talking about this theme of light, and this, this contrast, this battle between light and darkness is really a plot line that runs throughout Scripture, and we began this uh, deal a couple weeks ago, this series, by looking at this verse in 1 John 1, 5. You'll probably remember it. It says this, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. And we talked about how light isn't just a metaphor for God, that it's an actual description of his nature and character. So everything that is true about light and what light does is true about God and how he operates. And so that first week, we talked about how light reveals things, that light saves because it shows a way through the darkness, that light energizes, which are all things that God does as well. When the earth was formed, the Bible begins, the first couple of verses, and it said darkness was over um, the deep. And then verse three, it says, God bursts in and said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, how many of you, um, and there's no shame involved in this question, but um, when, you heard, when you think of that or when you've heard that before, God saying, let there be light and there was light, how many of you like imagine that, this, that God created the sun and that's what provided the light? Like, am I the only one that kind of thought that was the case? <laughs> okay. I mean, I, really, I guess I'd never really thought about it, but as I look back through the scripture, God says, let there be light in verse, in, on day one. The sun, the moon, and stars weren't created until day four. And so when God said, let there be light, he was the light. It was like he was turning himself on and revealing his true nature. He is light. And then when God created mankind in the form of Adam and Eve, he, he communed with them in perfect relationship. There, there was no separation, no 
guilt, shame, no sin, no anything. It was perfect between God and man. And we know the story, right? Adam and Eve choose to side, at least in this moment, with the dark one, Satan, and they chose to be disobedient. And they chose darkness. And at that moment, it allowed the destructive forces of sin to enter into the world. And after they sinned, they hear God coming into the garden. What did Adam and Eve do? They hid. Yeah, they hid in the shadows, right, behind the bushes from God. For the first time, there was this wall, this barrier between them because they knew they'd been disobedient and they were ashamed. And when we first disobeyed and allowed there to be some separation between God and man, it, it kind of kick-started this redemptive movement by God to, to reclaim that relationship that was severed. And so God began pursuing men in their dark places. And a lot of times we talked about how he did it in the presence of light. And so we looked at in the Old Testament the ways in which God interacted with man. He came in the burning bush to Moses and when they freed the slaves from, from Egypt and took them to the promised land, when they wandered in the desert, it said the pillar of fire, God's presence would lead them through the darkness. When Moses went up on the mountain to meet with God to get the Ten Commandments, when he came down, after being in the presence of God for 40 days, it said that his face was so bright that the people made him put a veil on because they couldn't take it, <laughs> how bright he was being in, in, in the actual presence of God. And ultimately, God's plan to redeem the world involved him becoming a man himself, Jesus, and, and entering into the human story, into darkness. Last week, Justin described Jesus Jesus called himself the light of the world. And we took a look at the, the gospel of John, and the disciple John described Jesus like this. He said, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. So by taking on human flesh, God actually chose to kind of tone himself down a little bit. It's kind of like he kind of put the dimmer switch on. You know, because in the Old Testament, people couldn't stand to be in the presence of God. It was too glorious, too holy in his sight. It was too much for us to take in. But Jesus allowed us to experience the light of God up close. And so now all of a sudden that light came near to us in a very intimate way. It was very different than the way anybody had experienced God before. And everywhere Jesus went... He exposed darkness, especially in the hearts of mankind. So it's interesting to see, if you've ever read John's gospel before, in his gospel he uses this imagery between light and darkness all the time, especially as he reveals the motives of men's hearts. So I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 3. It's page 740. John chapter 3. <clears throat> and this is kind of a famous conversation between Jesus and a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a, a Jewish religious leader who was um, very strict in his adher adherence to the, the Old Testament law. And when does it say that the, the Pharisee Nicodemus comes to see Jesus? In verse 2. 
He comes at night. He comes at night. And he's not really ready to, uh, you know, reveal his interest in Jesus um, in the daylight yet. He's not willing to be seen in public uh, with him. So he comes at night, kind of in the shadows. But that's not just a description of what time of day it is. In John's writing, that's also uh, an, a metaphor for where Nicodemus's heart is. It, it's night in his soul at this time. He, he doesn't have the light of Christ in his life, and so there's, there's darkness in his heart. And as you go through this conversation, Jesus makes this very important comment, and so I want to pick it up in verse 19. So go down to 319, and it says this. It says, this is the verdict. When I was in seminary, they taught me that the better word there is crisis. This is the crisis. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So people loved darkness instead of light. Just non-Christians? No, I think he means us too a lot of times, right? I want you to flip over to another example of, of darkness here. Flip over to John chapter 13. John chapter 13 It's a scene that you're probably pretty familiar with. It's the Last Supper, the night that Jesus was arrested and put on trial. And so it's, it's the last time he's sitting down with his disciples and communicating something to them. And he's told them already at this point, but we're going to pick it up, that, um, that somebody is going to betray him that night. And they're all asking each other, well, who is it? Which one is it? You know, none of them thinks it's them. Verse 26 in chapter 13 says this. Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to take to the poor. As soon as Jesus had, Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Why did John include that last little line? I mean, this is the Last Supper, right? Supper usually happens at night. Probably all aware that it's dark outside, right? Again, he's talking about the state or condition of Judas's heart. It was night in his heart. Has it ever felt like night in your heart? Integrity. Integrity is this interesting quality that everybody wants. Have you ever met somebody who's like, I really desire to have no integrity? Right? Everybody wants integrity, right? It's kind of like a million bucks, right? Do you want to be a millionaire? Yes, I do, right? I mean, it's just everybody wants that. Most people do, at least. 
Okay? So integrity, everybody wants it. So I was thinking this week, what would be a good definition of integrity? And I wondered if if this might fit. A shadow-free life. A shadow-free life. What if our every thought, word, and deed could be in the light of God with no fear of God looking at us and, and rejecting any thought, word, or deed that we would have? Wouldn't that be an amazing feeling to be able to be that honest and open with God and just to know, you know what, every thought, word, and deed that I've had today, I, it can stand in the light of God. There's nothing, there's nothing in the shadows there, no darkness. Man, that would be a great feeling, wouldn't it? <laughs> but that's not the way it often goes for us, is it? <laughs> not if we're honest. No, if we're honest... <laughs> We would acknowledge that our thoughts are evil a lot. I mean, our thoughts are filled with pride and arrogance and jealousy and greed and envy and judgment and lust. I mean, keep adding the adjectives, right? There are significant shadows in our minds, places that we would be ashamed for people to see, certainly God. And I would imagine that if that if I took, if I had somehow the magical power to take the collective thoughts of Wellspring people over the course of the last week and make a slideshow that we had to sit and watch for the next two hours, we would freak out, right? First of all, we wouldn't admit that any of those were ours. Like, man, these people, these are horrible people, right? But you think about it, in a week's time, the collective thoughts of everybody in here, all the Christians, Hollywood wouldn't have a rating bad enough for what that would look like. But there's something comforting in those thoughts sometimes. There's something comforting about feeling like we're just a little bit better than the other person. That we're right and they're wrong, so we're justified in our our arrogance <laughs> makes us feel good sometimes to let our minds just kind of run free with lust. Satisfies an aching for intimacy in our hearts. And this is all before we open our mouths. The things we say in the shadows. Oh man. Gossip and slander and lies feels good to know the scoop, feels even better to tell other people the scoop, feels good to to manipulate, to get what we want, even if we have to lie just a little bit. And that's just the stuff we say out loud, not to mention the stuff we text or Snapchat or whatever other thing I'm way behind on, tweet, right? Sometimes our actions are done in the shadows as well. Maybe we have a a habit or an addiction that we only do in the darkness when nobody else is around. 
And as I was thinking through this message all week, which is one of the curses of being a pastor, because you know what the topic is all week, right? You suckers will have to deal with it next week, right? But I've been sitting in this all week thinking about this shadow life. And I started thinking about, man, how many times are my thought, words, and deeds, are they dark? I mean, they are not reflective or representative of God. And I started just being aware of that in my own life. And I think God must have been gracious to me because he exposed a lot this week. What about this and this and this, Bob, right? In my own life, places where I chose darkness over light, places of shame, places of arrogance, places of guilt, places where I lacked integrity. And it made me wonder why we are all so willing to live life in the shadows when we know how destructive it is to ourselves, to those around us, how oftentimes in the controls of the shadow ways of thinking, it, it, it warps the way in which we see God and the way in which we see ourselves and the way in which we see other people. Why are we willing to do that? And it keeps us wrapped in this cycle of guilt, which then limits our ability to receive the love that God has for us. Because the enemy keeps beating us up with shame, yet we choose darkness. And at the core, I really feel like our willingness to embrace this shadow life sometimes is because we don't really believe our true identity. If you guys were around last year, we went through this series in Romans. And in Romans, the Apostle Paul talked a lot about who we are in Christ. What is true about us? I don't know if you remember this phrase. What is true about Christ is true about us. Paul says, you are in Christ. So we are one with him. So whatever is true about him is true about us, but we forget that. And in Romans chapter 6 alone, he says several things. In Romans 6 too, he says, by no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Verses 6 and 7, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that that body of sin might be done away with so that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Verses 17 and 18, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Isn't that redundant? I mean, that's all in the same chapter, right? Yes, it is redundant because we don't live like that's true. And so he just keeps hammering us with the same thing. Guys, listen, you're no longer controlled by sin. You're not slaves to it any longer. You don't have to live in the shadows with that habit, that addiction, that way of thinking, those words you like to use to hurt people or to get what you want. You don't have to live like that anymore. Why? Because God loves you just the way you are. You're completely accepted, completely loved. 
And so you don't have to try to manipulate, you don't have to try to demand that this other person says this about you to feel good about yourself. It frees you to step out of the shadows into the light and say, I'm fully accepted for who I am, broken and flawed and all those things. And then further along in Romans, he also tells you this is the way in which you can live that shadow-free life. The Holy Spirit of God is in you. And with him, you are more than conquerors. You can conquer anything. So again, this is the crisis. Light has come into the world, but people, you and I, love darkness instead of light because our deeds are evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light, will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And so Christmas, guys, is really an invitation to light and to life, to receive Jesus, the light of the world, who knows us inside and out. He knows our shadows, he knows our darkness, and he came to die for us anyways. And he says, guys, stop living for this counterfeit experience you're living in the shadows. Stop hiding from me. Wouldn't it be amazing to live a shadow-free life? And that, that's a lifelong process, I'm afraid. <laughs> Even if we really wanted to and we just believed, 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 we're still broken. And so it's a process. But there should be progress. What would progress look like? If you're going to step out of the shadows, what would progress look like? This is me asking you a question. Exposing, letting more light come out of your life, stepping out of the shadows, what would that look like in a very real way? Yeah. Inviting people into your darkness to help you get out, right? (laughs) Yes. Make sure you state the purpose very clearly, right? Inviting more light, I guess, the light of people into that darkness with you. Yes. What else? What else would look like progress? Yeah. Being more open and honest about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Being, being real and, and honest about your shadows. What else? Well, I'd say it is removed but not improved. That our sins have been forgiven. But if we don't take the action um, to move forward from self-righteousness to his righteousness, Okay. And be led by God. Right. Yeah, our sins are forgiven, right? But we still have to take those steps forward uh, of obedience. I mean, really, it comes down to obedience on a day in and day out basis. We're not going to change if we don't choose to be more obedient in the areas that God shows us, right? Guys, I think a huge thing that, that we miss is, well, one, I think it's, it's, it's this. It's important uh, that we pray for awareness, because a lot of times we're just blind to our shadows, our shadow way of thinking, our shadow way of living. We don't see it as sin. We tolerate it. We think it's okay somehow. So, yes, we invite other people in, but we say, God, I want you to shine a light and, and reveal my shadows. I want to know those places where I'm dark and darkness has crept in and I haven't pushed it out well enough. But then I think also just confession 
Because this past week, I saw a lot of myself that was just ugly. And I could say, oh, yeah, that kind of stinks. I shouldn't be like that. And then not change it all. Or I can repent of it and confess it and say, God, that's wrong. I've offended you. I've offended these people that I've just thought about in a bad way. Heal me. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Give me the power, the grace to live the life I know you want me to live and to, to, with my words, actions, and deeds, please you and honor you moving forward. Every day Christ's desire is to push back and push out more darkness in our hearts. That's his desire every single day is to gain new territory, to gain new ground. But it's, it's only with our cooperation. He's not going to force it. Where will you let him shine his light today? What shadows are you tired of hiding in? Where is the darkness wearing you out? Step into the light. Be healed. Be free. Be the person that God says that you are. No longer slaves to sin, but free from those things. More than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And remember that when we step out of the shadows, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the Father invites us out into the light not to condemn us, but so that we can receive his love and his grace and his mercy more freely. That's the Father that's saying, come. Come into the light. I want to close with a verse from 1 John. comes right after that verse we started with today. It says this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Why is that? Because when we have shadow thoughts, about other people that aren't good, it's really tough to have fellowship with them. When we're bitter, we're jealous, we're angry, we're envious. But if we walk in the light as he in the light, we can have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Guys, when we're hiding and we're in the shadows and we're in the darkness, it's really hard for Jesus to cleanse us when he's struggling to find us. So this morning, as we close, I want to give you guys just a minute or two. Holy Spirit's usually pretty good at getting our attention, right? So there's probably some things that are rattling around in your head today, some shadow places. So I just want to give you a minute of just silence to just confess those things and just say, God, I'm busted. (laughs) You got me. I got to change. That's not right. I got to stop acting like this, talking like this, doing this, thinking this. And then just really let him love on you. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So if you, if you hear that, that's, that's Satan. That's not God. His desire is to pick you up, love you, and say, hey, let's move forward in a new direction, a new path. So I'll give you some time to just be still, and then we'll, we'll wrap up our service.